Corinthians chapter 4? Cornell, do we need to talk? Where's Todd? Todd in here? Ephesians 4. That's all I've given so far. Rats, never mind. All right, let's pray. Father, again, we do thank you for your goodness and your love for us. Father, we thank you that we get to join with you in the adventure of seeing your kingdom expand upon this earth in wonderful ways. We get to join with you in seeing Jesus glorified and lifted up. We get to partner with you, Father, in seeing people's lives changed. And we are excited about that, Father, and we thank you that we get to do that along with you. Lord, we do want to be more effective servants for your kingdom. We do want to grow up in a maturity to be more like Jesus so that we can truly bring honor to you, so we can truly help and bring salvation to those who still need you. So I pray, Father, that our hearts and our ears would be open today to hear what the Spirit of the Lord would want to say to us. We'd have ears to hear and hearts to embrace your truth. Holy Spirit, help me deliver this message. Help me deliver your message. And I'm grateful for the fact that you can make this message apply to every single person in here. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. It says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of doctrine, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. Now this is a very familiar passage to most of us, and I've even read it a few times in the last few months. And at times I brought your attention, I wanted to bring your attention to the gifts to the body of Christ that Jesus gives, the fivefold ministry. The apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, and evangelist. And we understand and, and we learn the uh, importance of those gifts to the church to help us become mature, to help us to grow up into all that God has for us, to be more like Jesus. But what I want to emphasize today is even a bigger part because there's more involved in this, and that's the rest of the body. It talks about in, in uh, 
moves to the last verse, verse 16. It says, from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament. Every supporting ligament. You know, we see in the scriptures that it, it relates us to a body. It says we are the body of Christ. And it gives us the, the analogy of a physical body. Arms, our nose, our cheeks, our, our mouth, our feet, our legs and everything. And, and every part of the body is important. And if you were to remove any part of your body, then you're going to be limited. You're not going to have your full potential. And also says that joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So the way that we are going to be able to grow in fullness and maturity is when each part of the body does its part. When we learn to receive from each part, not just our favorite parts. And so it's important that we all participate. It's also saying that we all need each other. That there are no superstars in the kingdom of God, in the body of Christ. Every member is important. Would you agree with that? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 and 30. And I'm going to be reading this out of the New American Standard. Actually, excuse me, we're going to go to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. It says, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, when it says, as you see the day drawing near, what day is that? Anybody? What day is that? What's that? Speak it out. Okay, the day of the Lord, the day of judgment, the final day. There will be a day of judgment. I believe that's what it's referring to. In other words, when Jesus comes back, when, when it's going to be a great day for those of us who love Jesus and know Jesus, it's not going to be a good day for those who have rejected him. It's talking about the end times, the end, the, that last event. But it says, even all the more as you see this day drawing close. Now, we, we would all agree, or at least most of us would agree, that we are moving rapidly to the end times. We are in the end times, and we're moving real close to that last day. Would we agree with that? Now, of course, just like those who have believed this hundreds of years ago, <laughs> it could be 100 or 200 years from now. But there are things that have happened in the last, in our generation, Israel becoming a nation, Israel regaining Jerusalem, those events were very, very, very significant as far as end times events. And there's all kinds of things that are happening that show us, that, that help us to realize that we are approaching that last day. But the point I want to bring to your attention here is it says, let us consider how to stimulate one another or provoke one another to love and good deeds. In other words, we need to, and we need to be mindful of how we can encourage one another. We need to be mindful how we can stimulate and build each other up and provoke one another to do, to walk in love and do good deeds. And it says, not forsaking our own assembling together. As is the habit of some. In other words, the only way we're going to be able to encourage one another is we have to hang out together. And not via Facebook. Now, Facebook can be a tool 
to encourage one another and post your greatest or your newest things about what your horse is doing. But right here, you know, Paul's not talking about Facebook. He's talking about coming together as brothers and sisters. He says we cannot avoid that as some are in the habit of doing. Why? It is important for us to come together so that we can encourage one another. So that we can be, we can learn from one another. Because we all have gifts. We all have our part to supply. We are all joints and we have a supply for the body. And if we're not together, if we don't ever come together, and not just in the corporate setting like today, but also in, in smaller settings, in fellowship time, having people over to your house, getting together for coffee and things like that, so you can encourage one another. And I believe this is so significant, particularly in our culture here in the United States, because our culture has moved away from that. Because of things like Facebook or, or technology that enables us to stay apart and think we have, think we're really together when we're apart. And it's important because in our culture we value busyness, we value projects, we value all this stuff that in actuality keeps us from one another. Because it's like, you know, brother, I'd love to get with you, but I don't have time. And so we don't have time to do the things, and we don't make time to do the very things that the Bible said we need to do so that we can provoke and stir one another up to love and good deeds, especially as the day is drawing near. And then in Ephesians 4, verse 29 and 30, this is the one I'm going to read out of the New American Standard because I like, there's a particular word in here that I like that the NIV didn't have. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, it says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You know, in the past I used to think it was odd that those two verses were together. He talks about letting no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only such a word is as good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. And then it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. It's like, how do those two go together? And I believe what the Holy Spirit was showing me is, remember Jesus said, when I go away, I will send you the comforter. Talking about the Holy Spirit. And he was going to come and he was going to help you. He was going to teach you. He was going to lead you in all truth. Remember the word comforter. One of his leading roles is to comfort you and me. Comfort. And right here it says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word is as good for edification according to the need of the moment. So when we come together, my words and your words to each other should be those that are going to build each other up. That's going to be wholesome. That's going to give you grace. It's going to impart grace. And why? And he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, because the reverse of that, the opposite of that, will grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's desire is to comfort you and build you up. So he gives us an opportunity to partner with him to comfort each other and build each other up. So if my words to you and your presence are putting you down, then I'm going to grieve the Holy Spirit. Because he wants to build you up. He wants to strengthen you. Do you see that? And so it's important that when we're together that our words are filled with grace, encouragement. And when we do that, I believe we are at that point partnering with the Holy Spirit 
How many of you realize that we need to be encouraged in these last days? I mean, without saying anything, how many of you are discouraged? I've been going through some very discouraging circumstances lately, recently, maybe for a prolonged period of time. Or you find yourself, you get encouraged, but then you find yourself a lot of times discouraged. Now, there are times we need to encourage or strengthen ourselves in the Lord. We know that. We need that. Just like David did. He was a wonderful example of that. But also, God has ordained. Do you realize, God did not ordain for you to walk the Christian life by yourself. Now, there may be certain circumstances that a person may find himself in. For example, they get get captured for being a Christian. They get put in an isolation place, and they're there for years by themselves. Okay, they have to walk with the Lord by themselves. They don't have the luxury of, of, um, of encouragement from brothers or sisters. But generally speaking, and for the most part, God did not call and He does not expect us to walk the walk with Him by ourselves. He's the one that ordained that we walk as a body. That we encourage one another. Are you with me? And that's why he says, do not forsake the assembling. You need to get together. But you know, some people ask the wrong questions. Well, can I still be a Christian and not go to church? Why would you want to? Well, because there's hypocrites in the church. Because I've been hurt. Because I've been offended. You know, I just thought of this, but people who don't come to church because they've been offended, but they still go to work. (laughs) Probably been offended there. And you know, church is not everything, but it is important. God has a purpose for the saints coming together, like on a Sunday morning like this. There's a purpose for that. And when we participate in what he's wanting to do, then we're going to gain the benefits that he has for us, and we're going to grow and we're going to mature. Remember, we want to grow up into Christ. We want to be mature. Do we not? Now, here's the main point. Everything I've shared is is to build up to this point that I want to move forward with. Wanted to share the importance of us coming together, of fellowshipping together. That when we're together, that our words share, that words that we share impart grace. How many times have you been with a brother or sister and just things that they've shared just encouraged you? It's like put wind in your sails. It's like, man, that's exactly what I needed to hear. And don't you think that brings joy to the Lord? We need one another. But there's one area where there seems to be the biggest disconnect when it comes to unity of the saints in the church community. Even though many of us may be moving in relationship, you know, we're buying into this thing about relationship because here at New Covenant Fellowship, we've been stressing it for a while. We believe in it. It's one of our core values. And many people are beginning to buy in. But I believe there's still one area where there's the largest disconnect I'm, and I'm not talking about just our church. I'm talking about in the, in the church community in general. And that's between the older and younger generations. For some reason, there seems to be an us versus them mentality. Instead of two tremendously gifted and much needed groups coming together to create a powerful and effective kingdom dynamic, we've developed and settled for an either or culture, either the young or the old. 
And so I want to specifically spend the rest of my time talking to two groups. Those of you who are older than me and those of you who are younger than me. And the reason that may sound funny, but the reason why I say that is because I come, I find myself at kind of one of those tweeners, right in the between. Right in between. This has been something that the Lord's put on my heart for a few weeks now. And I believe there's, there's some keys in this that if we, if we open our hearts and, and, and hear what the Lord is wanting to say and we embrace and, and practically move in this direction, I believe there's going to be, there's going to be great benefit, tremendous benefit in our lives individually and benefit in, in, the, in um, our church culture and the body of Christ. I believe part of the problem is we become fixated with and put so much attention on our differences instead of finding common ground upon which to build. Then we create solutions. For example, like dual church services or contemporary and traditional, which mainly means young and old. I mean, if you think about it. So everyone can be happy. And then we are too quick to say that the solution is from God. Now, what am I saying? A lot of times in church, I say a lot of times, I don't know if that's true, but just from what I hear, what I, what I'm sensing in my, in my heart, that we put so much emphasis on the Sunday morning service. And this, like today, becomes what it's all about. My Christian, my walk with God is about this event on Sunday morning. We place so much emphasis on it. So it becomes the main event. It becomes the main event. And because that's the case, then we put so much importance <clears throat> and emphasis on it. And so then we want it to be the way that I want it to be so I can enjoy this main event. And see, I believe that this is an important event, but it's not the main event. It's a small part of a bigger kingdom. And if you think about it practically, we spend, what, three hours, some of us maybe three hours a week here together. There's 168 hours in a week. There's only three of those hours are here on Sunday morning. And we think this is the, the biggest event. This is the most important thing. And I mean, religion has done that. I mean, you know, and again, I'm not saying that Sunday morning is not important. It has its place. But it's not the most important thing. But because we've made it that way, we've narrowed it down to the only way I can serve in God's kingdom is I gotta have a position. I gotta be behind the pulpit. Or I have to be in some kind of position that serves on Sunday morning. Now it is, it's important that we serve. Because there is a purpose. But we think that if I'm not serving on Sunday morning, then there's no opportunities for me to serve His kingdom. And I believe we'd all agree that's a fallacy. And so because we make the Sunday morning such a big event, then we focus on things that we do like and don't like. And a lot of times the differences end up being, they end up beginning to divide the generations. For example, the music. The music's too loud. It's not loud enough. I don't like the style. That's my favorite style. And all these different things, and I'm just using that as an example. And so, and, and, and we're not able to come together on these things. 
And so our solution is, I know what we can do. Let's have two services. Let's have a contemporary service for those who like this kind of music or that volume or whatever. And let's have a traditional service for those who like this style. And from my perspective, what that tends to do is, what is it going to do? Who's going to go to the traditional service, generally speaking? And who's going to go to the contemporary service, generally speaking? Now, of course, I'm speaking generalities. So what's going to happen is the two generations that are already having a hard time coming together are going to be split even more. I've even had someone approach me pretty passionately, a man that I respect and was encouraging me that we need to consider going to two services. And he didn't even come to church here. He looked from the outside in, made an assessment and said, here's what you need to do. I believe his heart was right. I believe his heart was sincere. I believe he loves us. He cares for us. But I believe his solution is inaccurate. I don't believe splitting, having two different services, unless you're so full in the first service you don't have any room. But then you wouldn't be going to a traditional and contemporary. You'd be going to a second service. What am I getting at? I don't know. I'll figure it out in a second. What I'm getting at is, when I look in the Bible, I don't see this separation of generations. I see a blending of the generations. When you look at Paul, the Apostle Paul, for example, he had relationships with Barnabas and, and, and Silas and different guys that were on his level, would say, his peers. He also had Timothy. I would guess, now I haven't researched this, but I would guess that Timothy was probably young enough to be Paul's son. Now that's just a guess. So he had a young man that he, he saw himself as his father. And then Paul had, had men that were older than him in the faith. So in other words, we see Paul having peers, having people younger and older. And I generally believe, I believe, I really believe this actually, that it would be to our best interest to have three types of relationships. Someone younger than me in the Lord that I can disciple and encourage and build up. Peers that we can receive back and forth. And then someone older than me that I can receive from. And to this day, I still have those three types of relationships. I intentionally seek those type of relationships. And I am benefiting tremendously from those types of relationships. I mean, I'm, I'm greedy when it comes to that. Relationship and people that I can encourage, people I can pour into, and people I can receive from. Because I'm, I'm still at the place where I need, I have need of growth and development. I have need of wisdom that I don't have. And so anyway, in our culture, if you look at the way things are in American society, and I say in America, well, actually, in my travels, I haven't noticed this in other cultures. And I think, well, I don't know all the reasons why, but we are so segregated in our culture. Part of it, I believe, is the school system. And what I mean by that is you send your kids to first grade, 
They're all first graders together. Then the second graders are all together. Third graders, fourth, so on and so on. Back in the day, it used to be a schoolhouse when you had kindergartners and seniors. Remember that? And what would happen back in the day, this is just my guess from what I've seen, is you have little kids who are slower, don't know anything, and the older kids would help the little kids. They would teach the younger children. The younger children would look up to the older children. They'd probably also get beat up by the older kids. But there was a, there was a cross-pollination. There was an encouragement going back and forth. And so what do they, they learn to grow up in life relating to multi-generations, different ages. But what have we created in our society now? First graders know how to talk to first graders. Fifth graders know how to relate to fifth graders. Seniors only want to relate to seniors because if you're a junior, you're nobody. Get out of my face. And if you're a freshman, forget that, you little dweeb. And so unintentionally, we've created a culture where we're only used to relating to our peers. Anyone older or younger, not important. And so then what happens is we develop this mindset, and then we take this mindset and try to put it on kingdom principles. And we see the word through our perspective instead of letting the word change our perspective. I believe part of this is the enemy's working. Matter of fact, I believe that's his, his ploy to, to separate, to divide. Because what has happened is the gifting and the strengths of both generations, because both generations have multiple strengths. But the younger generation is not benefit, benefiting from the strengths of the older generations because they cut themselves off. They removed themselves and vice versa. Older generation pulled away, intimidated by, didn't understand the younger generation. And so they pulled back and therefore they're not benefiting from that. I believe God has a better way. I believe he would have us together learning, experiencing Receiving from each generation. Does that make sense? You know, and also part of our culture, part of the problem is there's such a fixation, there's such an emphasis on youth that being old or growing older is bad or negative. I mean, you hear what I'm saying? I mean, they have products that I can put in my beard and you won't see any gray hairs at all. I can look 10 years younger. And why do I want to look 10 years younger? Does Lisa care? No. You know, it's interesting because, you know, those of you who've known me for a long time, you know, back in the day, I used to wear a goatee quite a bit. Matter of fact, some of my kids, that's all they knew. And then when I shaved it off, they're like, ah, intruder alert. Who is this guy? It freaked them out because they, they weren't used to see me without it. And then for the last number of years, I've just been clean shaven. And you know what's interesting? I just realized this recently. Because every once in a while I'd get this hair to, um, like from Friday to, well, for a few days I just wouldn't shave because I didn't have to, because I didn't want to. Right? So I was like, I don't feel like shaving. And then it would start growing and it's like, hmm, I think I might let it grow a little bit. And then guess what I would see in the mirror? I'd see grace start to sprinkle. I'm like, oh no, can't have that. Shave it off. 
Until recently, I decided to let it grow in. Maybe I was praying and fasting that there wouldn't be any grays, but it didn't work. But it's like, why am I afraid of the gray hairs on my face? Why are we so adverse to that? We're afraid of it. We want to do everything we can. There is so much money being made on staying and looking young. There's so much emphasis on youth, which sends a negative message to older. Being older. So what happens is the subliminal message is put in our brains, in our soul, that older is bad. Young is good. And I've been caught up in this as well. But I, I believe the Holy Spirit is just wanting to say some things, bring things to our attention so we can break out of this and quit allowing the world to influence and infiltrate the church, God's kingdom, which causes us to be weak, anemic, ineffective, unfruitful. God has a better way. You know, I've been, I begin to embrace, you know, for the longest time I'd hear all these things. Man, you look young for your age. How old are you? How many kids you have? I remember one time in Kenya, I was, uh, and this is a few years ago, but I always looked younger than I am. And I remember talking to this cab driver, I believe it was me and Mike. We were in Kenya and we were in the cab and this, uh, this guy, he could speak good English and we're talking and, and he was talking about his, I said, Hey, do you have any kids? He said, Yeah, I got two girls or two kids. And he was excited about his kids. And this guy was probably, in his 30s, maybe. Man, I can't remember now. Um, but I know he just knew that I was younger than him. I know it. I just know it. Because I could tell by his attitude, the way he was talking to me. You know, you poor little thing. You know, kind of. And uh, we're talking about his kids. And he said, oh, do you have any kids? Because I must have said something to make him think that I have kids. He said, oh, do you have kids? I said, yeah, I have kids. He says, how many kids do you have? <laughs> I said, I have six kids. He almost ran off the road. <laughs> I mean, it, it did. It, he looked at me. Six kids. How in the world can you have six kids? And he's like, how old are you anyway? He's like, ah, that, that's the question right there, isn't it? And so he was shocked when he found out my age. And I remember it used to get me and Lisa in trouble. We were the youth pastors over all these youth. We'd go down to Dallas, take them to Christ for the Nations, Youth for the Nations. And... Um, I remember one time there was ministry time and Lisa and I were up front with our kids. You know, God was moving on them. They were, you probably remember this, Rosa. The, um, where's Rosa? She was here. Okay. Well, anyway, Rosa, Mike Harper, uh, Leah, you guys who went to camp with us. We were ministering. Holy Spirit was moving on them. And I remember the counselors from, for, uh, would come up and say, oh, let, let us get an adult for you guys. And Lisa would be right there. Or Lisa and I, because one of the rules was there's no PDA, no public display of affection for the youth, period. They saw you holding hands, you got whacked or say, hey, none of that. And so Lisa and I would be walking around holding hands and we'd many times from the council, hey, young people, hey, hey, none of that. What are you talking about? No PDA. I said, dude, covenant relationship, bro. <laughs> but we always, we were always Thought of as being younger. And then I began to take pride in that. Then I realized there became a time when I didn't want to grow older. Because I was beginning to buy into the influence and the message of our society. That old is bad, young is good. 
And then the Holy Spirit said, hmm, that's not right. And then I began to realize the wonderfulness, especially in God, the wonderfulness of growing old in Him. The treasure, the riches, all that's there that that you older saints have allowed God to, to pour into your life over all those years. You have this wealth, this treasure that's there, and it's good. It's good stuff. But the world would make us think it's unneedful. Hey, I got my iPad, my iPhone, I'm good. I don't need what you have. And then I begin to realize, you know what? I begin to embrace my age. You know, I'm getting older. That's reality. Deal with it. And I begin to, I'm beginning to enjoy the journey instead of despise and try to hold back and go backwards. And see, many of us do that same thing. We think old is good. I mean, excuse me, old is bad, young is good. And that's not a truth in God's word. So my appeal to our older brothers and sisters who are older than me. Even though we have not shown it as much as we should or could have, we really need you. We really do. We really need the older generation. I'm not being patronistic or whatever that word is or, or whatever. Really. We really need you. You know, I, I, I was thinking, of course, as I've been thinking about this message for a few weeks, and I've been thinking that looking back in my life, the major components that God has deposited in my life have been through the wisdom and the encouragement influence of older people in my life. I believe that I have a great marriage. Probably the best marriage on the planet. I do. I have a great marriage. And I believe it's because I remember when I was single, before I was married... Somehow, some way, I learned to gravitate towards and to seek and to go after older men or married men, men who'd been married for a while, not newlyweds. I don't want some young pups who didn't know anything. I wanted seasoned vets. And I began to hang out with them and talk to them and listen to them. So with the things that I learned and embraced, I was able to take into my relationship at an early age. I'd have to wait until I was 20, 30 years along. I was able to embrace that wisdom and bring it in. Raising our children. We had all kinds of help. I appreciate uh, the Klecklers. We went to their class many, 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 many times. They probably got tired of us. But we wanted, we wanted to learn. And you know, it's funny because I was a professional. I was perfect and a professional at being a parent until I had my first kid. Anybody relate to that? I mean, I know, hey, man, if that was my kid, man, I'd have that taken care of. I can't believe they're letting their kids do that. And then I had a few of my own. It's like, God, help me, please. I repent of all the judgments. I remember Pastor Dale. He's not here so I can talk about him. Don't y'all tell. I remember Pastor Dale when I was a young youth pastor. And I used to... I still do, but I used to admire him and, and man, his, his godliness, his character, his steadfastness, steady, woo, just steady, 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 steady. You know, when Pastor Dale falls, instead of like that, it's like, boop. <laughs> I, I just love this man and, and, and he's my spiritual father and he still is. But I remember him coming to me and, and saying, CJ, I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you with something. Like, what's that? 
He said, I want to challenge you to spend, I want to encourage you to spend two hours a day with the Lord. <laughs> what? Two hours a day? Are you kidding me? First, I was thinking maybe a cumulative time, like if I spent a couple of minutes here, five minutes here, maybe over the day. No, he's talking about two hours to spend time with the Lord. Like, are you kidding me? I can't do that. But you know what I did? I took him at his challenge. And I remember when I first started doing that, I thought I was going to die. I mean, I'd read and pray and read and pray and hallelujah, throw some shundas in there and just worship and everything. Look at my watch and it's only 10 minutes, I thought. This is not going to work. But then I remember when I made it to that milestone of praying two hours a day. And then even more than two hours, three hours a day. Now, not all the time, but... And I look back, and two hours now is not hard at all. But if I had never been challenged by that man, I'd probably still be struggling with 30 minutes. And what has been the foundation of my life? My love for the Word of God. My love for His presence. I mean, Dale is all about His presence. He's all about the Word. He's all about Jesus, relationship with Jesus. But you're like, but he's so old. What does he have to offer? Are you kidding me? I'm glad I didn't have that attitude. I might have my share of attitudes, but at least I was willing to listen. And I remember one thing that Pastor Dale shared with me, something that has, has shaped the way I moved with it with, with moral integrity. Remember years ago when Lisa and I were, I think we were in the dating stage. I guess that's what you call it. We weren't, uh, we were a couple, I guess. I can't remember exactly. You'd remember. I used to work at the youth shelter, and she lived with her sister and brother-in-law. I'd get off at 7 in the morning, and she'd be getting ready to go to work. So at about 7.30 in the morning, I'd stop by, say hi, and we'd talk and giggle and all that good stuff. And um, and then I'd go home, go to bed, and get up for school. I was going to OSU at the time, and then she'd go to work. So we'd have that time together, and then we'd split off. And we just did that. Every time I worked, that's what we did. Routine. Well, there was one time when uh, Mark and Lori were on vacation. They were gone. Didn't think anything of it. I show up. Lisa's there. Hey, how you doing? Giggle, giggle, giggle. Ha ha. Do all that kind of stuff. Our routine. And then I left, went home, and then she went to work. And then apparently somebody in the church noticed that uh, they knew Mark and Lori were gone. And they saw my car there and Lisa's car there, and it was real early in the morning. So you can see what the picture looked like. And then I remember Pastor Dale called me in the office and said, Hey, CJ, can I visit with you? Sure. And he said, um, I can't remember the exact words, but he mentioned something about me being at Lisa's house when Mark and Lori weren't there. I said, Oh, but nothing happened, nothing happened. You know, I was on the defensive. Woo, shields up. You know, nothing happened, innocent. I'm good. And he said, I don't doubt that at all. In other words, he wasn't saying, what were you doing there? He's wanting to teach me something. And he was wanting to teach me the principle of avoiding the very appearance of evil. He said, brother, I have no doubt that nothing happened between you and Lisa. But it could have appeared that way. It could appear that way with other people. And it can ruin your testimony. So, hmm. Okay. And after I got over the hurt pride and everything, because at first, you know, I was like, how could he think, you know, how you get over all that? I got over it, licked my wounds, 
and I embrace that principle. And that principle, I don't know how many situations that the enemy tried to set me up probably, and my behind was saved because I listened to the wisdom of my brother. I remember one time um, there was a lady that her and her kids were coming to church, and I used to drive the, the van at that time, and, and I remember loading her and her kids up, and then her husband decided to stay home. Anyway, she's a new person, so we're going to follow up with them, and I was the follow-up minister, so... I called her and said, hey, this is CJ. I wanted to come by and visit you and everything. She said, oh, great. I said, is your husband going to be there? She goes, oh, yeah, he'll be home. Okay, great. I'll come by Tuesday, such and such time. Tuesday, I called and said, hey, this is CJ. I just wanted to make sure you're home. Yes, I'm home. And is your husband there? Yes, he's there. Good. I'll be over in about 10 minutes. I go over to this house, this apartment, knock on the door. She opens the door. I think her little kid opened the door. Walk in, hey, how's it going? So I go in. She goes, oh, have a seat. I go in and sit down. And... She goes into the kitchen and she's talking. And I said, hey, I said, where's your husband? And then she said, oh, he went to the store. My heart just about jumped out of my chest. I realized I'm in an apartment alone with this woman that I don't know. I'm in trouble. Because I remember the principle. Now, it wasn't that I was thinking anything was going to happen, but my testimony. Pastor Dale reminded me or warned me about this. I said, Holy Spirit, what do I do? He said, tell her you have, he said, tell her something's come up and you have to go. You think, was that a lie? No, something came up, new information. Her husband wasn't home. That came up. I have to go. (laughs) And there have been many situations over the years where it could have been an innocent thing, but because of the principle that I've learned from my older brother, my spiritual father, I don't know how many messes that kept me out of. But because I was willing to embrace wisdom from an older brother. I was willing to embrace the challenge of an older brother. I challenge you to spend two hours a day with the Lord. You're wrong, bro. I take that, dear. So anyway, I just want to say to my older brothers and sisters, we really need your wisdom, life experience, and maturity that God has developed in you. We need you in our lives. We need you in our lives. The second thing I'd like to say is try not to focus so much on our style or the way we do things, but focus on our desire to build his kingdom and come and intentionally join us so we can build kingdom, his kingdom together. Please look for opportunities to come alongside and serve with us. That's my appeal to my older brothers and sisters. We know that many of you have worked hard For many, many, many years, whether it was raising a family or working hard inside or outside the home and serving our country in the military, and now you are either approaching or well beyond retirement age, and you are tired and ready to rest. Or you may be battling serious physical limitations and challenges, and you may feel that because of that, you are no longer needed or have much value to offer. That is a lie. We still need you. Desperately need you. A lot of what you have to offer, you did not even possess when you were younger. Because it took all of those years to gain. You have so much wealth that God has deposited in your life. Number three, we need you to pray for and encourage us as we build this kingdom in the way we believe he is leading us. It's not going to look like how you would necessarily do things. You know, one thing I appreciate about Pastor Dale, do you realize because of his trust in me, his saying, CJ, I believe God has called you to this, so I'm going to give you the opportunity to to. To go, work, do it, do the thing that God has put in your heart. 
If he wouldn't have given me that opportunity, I probably would not be standing here today. I was a 21-year-old kid given charge of all these precious teenagers, and I had no clue. I had no formal training. I just had the passion, the Holy Spirit in me, my love for Jesus, and I just began to love and serve them. I made mistakes. But Pastor Dale trusted me, and he encouraged me. Keep going. That's what we need. The older generation, that's what the younger generation needs. We need you to encourage us, encourage them. Be our biggest cheering section and say, you can do this. We need you to be intentional and pursue a relationship with the younger generation to serve as spiritual moms and dads, encouragers, counselors, and cheerleaders. Look for ways to serve them so that you can gain influence into their lives. Who else are you going to share that wealth of wisdom and life experience with? You know, all that God has put in your heart, all these years of, of wisdom, who are you going to share that with? Who's going to appreciate it if it's not the younger generation? Does that make sense? Please do not look down upon and despise the young people for their zeal, their passion, and energy that they have, even if it seems misguided at times. Instead, seek of ways to encourage them and celebrate their love for God. And what many of you did for me and my peers, I'm asking you to continue to do for these younger people. Resist the temptation of just staying with and hanging out with your generation that you're most comfortable with. You know, me and my generation, talking about the guys in the 40s, the like Cornell and, and Greg and Todd and, and just our age guys who are now having the opportunity and the wonderful privilege of leading is because you senior saints have given us the opportunity. You've encouraged us. You've cheered us on. And you said, you know what? You can do it. I'm asking you to do the same thing for this younger generation. Encourage them. They need the encouragement of spiritual moms and dads to let them know that, hey, you got what it takes. Now, this doesn't mean that you're going to get together with the younger generation to fix or straighten them out. It's not just to tell them how they need to do things. That's not what we're talking about. Because as a matter of fact, frankly, some of the younger generation may be afraid to get with the older generation because they may feel that that's what's going to happen. They get with a, if they get with a, a wiser, mature person, they may be told this is the way it needs to be done. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about getting together with the younger generation, building relationship and influence into their hearts, and beginning to seek out the treasure that's in them and calling that treasure out, calling forth the destiny that they have. You know, unfortunately, many young people haven't had spiritual fathers in their lives to call forth their destiny. They haven't had fathers and good fathers that would encourage them in the things of the Lord. Even though I have a great father, father naturally growing up, I have a, a wonderful father who's a wonderful man, but he wasn't in my life. And he wasn't there to encourage me. I wasn't even a Christian growing up. But I had a spiritual father that took me under his wings and began to encourage me. But I realized that it takes two to tango. If the younger generation says, you know what, I do want to reach out and encourage and embrace the younger generation, well, it takes the younger generation to accept that invitation. And so I want to encourage you, those of you who are younger than me, look for ways to intentionally honor the older saints with your attitude, your words, and your lifestyle. Don't avoid them. See, we can get so uncomfortable with age because we've been told throughout society that age is bad 
So I become uncomfortable with it. So I begin to avoid it. And because I'm avoiding that, then I'm missing out on the very blessings that God wants to pour into my life. So please do not give into that. Move towards them. Avoid the temptation of just hanging out with the younger generation and your peers. And by this you will be teaching your children to honor them by your example. See, because I'm not talking about just patronizing, being nice to old people. Oh, you poor thing. God bless you kind of thing. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about sincere, genuine, I need you. I need you. I need what you have. I recognize value in you. God has given wisdom, poured wisdom into you. I need that. I need help, encouragement. That's what I'm talking about. 1 Timothy 4.12, it says, Do not let anyone look down upon you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. In other words, be an example, it says. And I believe the greatest way to be an example is to walk in humility. Realize that even though you have a lot of energy, zeal, and passion, you need wisdom, you need life experience, and you need guidance. And where are you going to get that? Are you going to get that from your peers? You young people, are you going to get wisdom beyond your years from your peers? You know, it's funny because I I think it's comical. I know I used to do this, but now when I see it happening, I kind of chuckle because when you see a young person going to their peers for counsel, It's like, what are they going to tell you? They have no clue, just like you don't have a clue. They haven't been there. See, I need need encouragement. I need wisdom and answers from somebody who's been there. Someone who's been married 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And I say, you know what? I, I, I have some questions. Look for intentional ways to invite older people, older couples into your life. There's a huge treasure that God has hidden in our seniors, and you have to go searching for it. And vice versa. There's a huge treasure in our young people. I'm talking back to my older brothers and sisters. There's a huge treasure. You know the passion, the zeal that the younger people have, the energy? Some of us can get jealous of it because we used to have it and we don't anymore. Let's celebrate that. Let's say, man, go. Go. I support you. I bless you. Go. And here's how I believe it should look. Now, this is kind of generally speaking. The young people have the energy, the zeal, the ideas, the innovative ideas, the passion. Let's do something. I want to do something for God's kingdom. And the older generation has the wisdom, the life experience, Say, hey, I'd encourage you not to do that. That That's disastrous. You don't want to go that way. And if we put it together, what do you think we could have? If we have the seniors with all the wisdom but no passion and no energy, or we have the young people with all the passion and energy but no wisdom, both are lacking. I believe God's ideal is for us to come together and we have it all. I mean, I'm kind of greedy like that. I want it all. I mean, don't you? Don't we want the benefit of our older brothers and sisters and the zeal and passion of our younger brothers and sisters? And together we run and accomplish great things for our King. Would you stand with me?
Now today there was hardly any, or no, there wasn't any intention of talking about how to do this. One, because I don't have time for that. But two, because it's not about, okay, let's just do this. But it's about our hearts being changed. Our, our, our attitudes being confronted, letting conviction set in, and then we respond and say, God, where is my heart in this matter? How do I view my seniors? How do I view the younger generation? And let's let the Holy Spirit deal with our hearts and our attitudes so that they can come into alignment with His heart and His attitude. That's what I want. Not the best idea unless it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. I want what He wants. And if He's trying to bring conviction or change to a mindset that I have, I want my heart to be, Lord, bring it. Bring that change in my mindset. You know, I've had people say to me when I was younger, I would hear this phrase, and they would say, man, you have wisdom beyond your years. Where do you think I got that wisdom from? It wasn't for me. It's because I grabbed and received from the wisdom of my seniors, my brothers and sisters. And I began to embrace it. I began to apply it. So when people would look at me and say, man, you got wisdom beyond your years. Because I cheated. <laughs> I saw some good stuff and I grabbed it, applied it. That's what the Lord wants for us. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we do invite you to deal with any false, wrong mindsets that we have. That we've allowed our culture to develop in us. We want our hearts to align with your heart, Father. We want our ways to be that which pleases you. And Holy Spirit, you're so good at giving us ideas to how to implement these changes. But Lord, I know you're wanting, to, you're wanting our hearts first. And so we give you permission to deal with our hearts, to expose, to root out the negative, the wrong. And we ask you to change it. Lord, I choose to put aside, to lay down the negative, the false mindsets that I've had. And I choose to embrace the mindset that you want me to have. And I open my heart to the wisdom, the ideas that you have of how I can begin to implement this in my life. Not for it to become a quick gimmick or a fad that fades, but for it to be a part of my life. That's what I want, Holy Spirit. That's what I believe you're wanting us to have. And we reach out and we grab a hold of it right now. And thank you, Father, for the grace that comes with it that will enable us to run this race effectively. And in closing, I want to share one thing. You can just keep your eyes closed if you'd like. This is something the Holy Spirit put in my heart last fall, and I shared this at a, a dinner that we had. And I believe He just reminded me He wanted me to share it again. 
And I believe this is the heart and sentiment towards our older brothers and sisters. This is from the younger. And this is on my heart because this is how I feel. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to be in front while you enthusiastically encourage me from behind. Thank you for allowing me to serve as your pastor, even though you have a considerable, considerably greater amount of life experience and wisdom. Thank you for allowing me to try new and even risky ideas while you patiently support me, pray for my blessing and success behind the scenes. Thank you for believing in me while I was young, inexperienced, and eager beyond wisdom. Thank you for showing us what it looks like to love, honor, and faithfully serve God for 30, 40, and 50 years without quitting. Thank you for allowing me to watch your loved one pass away with peace and dignity, even while I struggled to figure out why my prayers for their healing were not always answered the way I anticipated. Thank you for allowing us to watch you love and cherish your spouse, even after decades of being married, which has challenged, encouraged, and given us something to practice and look forward to in our later years. Thank you for faithfully feeding and nurturing us, even during the times when we might not even have been attentively listening because we thought that we already had things figured out. Thank you for laying such a strong and godly foundation in this church with which we are able to continue to build upon. Thank you for graciously embracing the direction in which God currently has us going and for many times being the loudest cheerleader and greatest encourager. Thank you for being a wonderful reminder of what our priorities in life should be. Thank you for hanging in there with us even when our music has been a little too loud for your comfort and our choice of songs aren't necessarily to your liking. Thank you for letting us lead in a different way even when the old ways worked effectively and our new ways were untried and unsure. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to teach, impart, and pour back into your life even after the many years of you being the ones who taught, trained, encouraged, and poured into ours. Thank you for embracing the opportunity and making an impact in the lives of all these young people that are now flooding into the church by inviting them into your lives and homes instead of giving into the threat of feeling displaced by them. Thank you for not only buying into this relationship thing, but also being a strong encouragement and great example of what it looks like. Even though you're not as young, quick, and energetic as you used to be, don't let anyone fool you. We still need you. Even though you may not be up to the speed on all the latest technology apps and smartphones, don't let anybody fool you. We still need you. Even though you're in a season where spending lots of time with your grandkids is a huge priority in your life, don't let anyone fool you. We still need you. Even though you might be battling health challenges that you never dreamed you would be dealing with, don't let anyone fool you. We still need you. Even though you're our younger style and the way we do things may be a lot different than what you might be used to or even comfortable with. Don't let anyone fool you. We still need you. Even though we might sometimes have an attitude that we know what we're doing and don't need much help. Don't let us fool you. We still need you. We need the life lessons that you've learned through the many battles that you've faced and endured. We need the wisdom and experience that you've gained over the years. We need the comfort that only you would be able to give as someone who's already been through what we are now facing. We need the encouragement, the support from a mom and dad-like figure that only someone like you can offer. And we need the challenge and accountability that only comes from your age, from someone of your age and stature. Can provide. So don't believe the propaganda that you are already finished, that you have nothing more to offer, and that your race is already done. And please don't be so concerned with passing the baton to me and my colleagues so quickly. 
We would prefer that we simply hold the baton and run this race together as long as the Lord allows. Don't let anyone fool you. We still need you. Father, we thank you. Thank you. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives. We love you and we embrace you, Father, in your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you Thursday night.